The hadith of Abu Sufyan and he tells of when he was in a sham and Heraclius asked him certain questions about the Prophet Heraclius was uh, the emperor of the Byzantine Empire which is the Eastern Roman Empire and he was a scholar who's very wise man also as Ibn Kathir mentions who is wise very knowledgeable and a scholar and a very opinionated man and he sensed that this was the time he was expecting a new prophet to surface and so he's going to ask Abu Sufyan some very intelligent questions to determine if this is a genuine prophet or not. So it's narrated by Abdullah ibn Abbas who says Abu Sufyan ibn Harb informed me that Heraclius had sent a messenger to him while he had been in the accompanying a caravan of the Quraysh. This is in the sixth year after the Hijrah. And he goes on a, a journey to a sham for trade. While he was there with this caravan of the Quraysh in a sham, Heraclius sent for them. And he doesn't know this is Abu Sufyan, the leader of the Quraysh. He doesn't know, but they, he, they just need some Arabs. And we're going to see why. To question them about the Prophet Wasallam. He says uh, there were merchants doing business in a sham. At that time when the Prophet ﷺ had the truce with Abu Sufyan and the Kuffar of the Quraysh. So Abu Sufyan and his companions, they went to Heraqil at Ilya, which is Jerusalem. And Heraclius called them in the, into his court and he had the senior Roman dignitaries arrive. Who, translating Heraclius' question, said to them, Who amongst you is closely related to that man who claims to be a prophet? So, okay, it's already from the wisdom of, of Heraclius that they bring him these Arabs who just happen to be from Mecca. He doesn't know who's who here. But he's, he's asking them, which of you is closest to him as a relative so that you're going to come forward and I'm going to ask you questions about him. It's called to see because it's unlikely he's going to lie against him. And of the people that were there, Abu Sufyan was the closest in relationship to the Prophet It's still the distant, but close enough. So Abu Sufyan said, I'm the closest of them in kinship. Heraql then said, so bring him close to me and bring his companions also closer to him. And then he said to the translator, to tell my companions, Abu Sufyan is saying, Heraql tells the translator, tell my companions that he wanted to put some questions to me regarding that man, meaning the Prophet And that if I told a lie, that my companions should contradict me. So his companions are behind him. And if he tells a lie, They'll just signal to him like this, that he's not speaking the truth. Heraql doesn't know that the man who happened to step forward was also their leader, right? And what are the chances they're going to turn him in if he lies? No chance, right? Fawallahi, had I not been ashamed that my companions will have labeled me a liar or counted a lie against me, I would have, I would have lied about him. I would have lied about Muhammad so the first question he asked me was, how is his family status amongst you, his lineage? So I answered, he belongs to a good and noble family amongst us, his good lineage. Then Heraql asked, has anyone amongst you ever claimed the same thing before him? Meaning, has anyone in the Quraysh ever said, I'm a prophet? And he's asking very wise questions, very strategic questions. 
I replied, no, no one's ever pretended to be a prophet before him or claimed to be a prophet before him. Then he said, was anyone from his ancestors a king? I said, no. Then he asked, do the nobles or the weak? He didn't necessarily say the poor here, but the weak. And then I replied, rather, it is the poor who follow him. Then Hiraql said, do they increase or decrease in numbers? So Abu Sufyan said, I replied, rather, they are increasing. He then asked, does anyone amongst those who embrace his religion become displeased and then renounce the religion afterwards? Qultu, la. I said, no. And then uh, Hiraql said, have you ever accused him of telling lies before his claim to, to be a prophet? And Abu Sufyan said, no. Qultu, la. Then he said, does he break his promises? Is he treacherous? Like that. And Abu Sufyan says, no. But remember, this is after the Treaty of Hudaybiyah, after the sixth year of the Hijrah. So <laughs> Abu Sufyan wants any opportunity to be able to say something bad without lying. So he says, no, we're at a truce with him right now. And we don't know what he's going to do. So is this the only thing he could hint to say he might and turn on us. So we don't know. And then he says, like this is the only opportunity I got to say something slightly negative. Like, he could be you know, truthful, but he may do something. We don't know what's going to happen. But still, you appreciate how truthful he's being. And this is his worst enemy. Then Heraql says, have you ever been to war against him? And I replied, Qultu, Naam, yes. Then he said, how was, what were the outcomes of the battles between the two of you? And he said, the, the war between us and him, sometimes he wins, sometimes we win. He's talking about Badr, Uhud. Sometimes, one time he won, one time we won. Then Hiraql said, what does he order you to do? Now, what's interesting here, now a non-Muslim is being asked about the message of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa So Abu Sufyan said, he teaches worship Allah alone and do not associate anything in worship with him. One, and leave what your forefathers say of these religions and idols and all that. Then, and he commands us to pray. Then, truthfulness, honesty. That's adab, manners, dealings. And the ties of kinship. Then he says, now Hiraql is going to explain why I asked you these particular questions. So Hiraql is telling the translator to translate to Abu Sufyan. Tell him, I asked you about his family and your reply was that he belonged to a very noble family. In fact, all the prophets came from noble families amongst their respective peoples. All right. We said he was a scholar, Hiraqil was a scholar, so he knew about the story of, of prophets and he knew about their lineages and, and how it, it works. Prophets always come from a noble lineage, from noble families, and, and people would know that where they came from. That's why Al-Hasan al-Basri, uh, he used to say that Allah never ever sent a prophet who was a nomad or a slave. Why a nomad? Because then this traveling man in the desert would just come upon a city and say, I'm a prophet of Allah, you have to follow me. Okay, we don't know you. You just came out of the desert. We don't know your family, your lineage. We don't know your manners. You didn't grow up amongst us. We don't know that you're an honest person, truthful person. It'll be hard to believe you. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala always sends the prophets from amongst the people. That's one. Two, or a slave. Why the slave? Nothing wrong with them as a human being. But because the lineage of the slave gets messed up, Make sense? And that's why the lineage of prophets is also preserved by Allah Azza wa And never ever has there been a prophet whose wife, for lack of a better term, cheated on him. 
Because one, it would be an insult to the Prophet. Two, it would put into question the, whole, the lineage of Prophets. Let's keep going here. So then I questioned you, the second question, whether anyone else amongst you claimed such a thing, your reply was in the negative. If the answer had been in the affirmative, I would have thought that this man, following the example of something said by a man before him, but he said, no one's ever done that in Mecca before. So that's another plus. It's a good sign. Then I asked you whether any of his ancestors was a king. Your reply was in the negative. And if it had, if it had been in the affirmative, he's telling him what I would have deduced. I would have thought that this man wanted to take back his ancestral kingdom. I further asked whether he was ever accused of telling lies before he said what he said. And your reply was in the negative. So I wondered how a person who does not tell a lie about other people would ever tell a lie about Allah. Someone truthful, doesn't lie in the market, doesn't lie about the price of tomatoes or potatoes. And then we've never known him to lie. And then the day he finally lies, he's going to lie against Allah Azza Very unlikely that that would happen. I then asked you whether the rich people followed him or the poor. You replied that it was the poor. He says, and in fact, all the people, uh, all the prophets had been followed by this same class of people. And generally you find this to be the description as opposed to the leadership. You see the, the prophets always in the dialogue in the Quran, in the stories of the prophets, it's always what the dialogue between them and Al-Mala are the people up top, the movers and the shakers, the rich people, the nobles, the leaders, the top level people. So you always find the dispute to be between the prophets and the top level people, which indicates they're the ones not accepting and lower levels would accept. Then I asked you whether his followers were increasing or decreasing. You replied that they were increasing. And in fact, that is the way of the true faith until it is complete in all respects. I further asked you whether there was anybody who after embracing his religion became displeased and discarded his religion. And your reply was in the negative. And in fact, this is the sign of true faith when its delight enters the heart and mixes with them completely. Then I asked you whether he has ever he had ever betrayed. And you replied in the negative. And likewise, the prophets never betrayed. Then I asked you what he ordered you to do. You replied that he ordered you to worship Allah and Allah alone and not to worship anything along with him and forbade you to worship idols and ordered you to pray, to speak the truth and to be chaste. So now here's the conclusion of all these questions and the way you answer them. If what you say or what you have said is true, he will very soon occupy this place underneath my feet. It's very powerful. So based on my analysis and if everything you said you were truthful, he will very soon rule this land right beneath my feet where I am sitting right now. This land will be under his control. And I knew it, meaning from the scriptures, that he was going to appear. But I didn't know that he would be from you the Arabs, and if I could reach him, then definitely I would go immediately to him. And if I were with him, I would certainly wash his feet. Then Hiraqul then asked for the letter addressed by the Prophet ﷺ, which was delivered by Dihya al-Kalbi to the governor of Busra. The governor of Busra forwarded the letter to Hiraqul to read. Then it says, the hadith continues, the contents of the letter were as follows. Bismillahir Rahman Rahim from Muhammad, the slave of Allah and his messenger. 
to Heracl, the ruler of the Byzantine, of the Romans, peace be upon those who follow the right path or true guidance. Amma ba'd, to proceed. He says, I invite you to Islam. Become Muslim and you will be safe. Allah will give you your reward twice. Double your reward. Why twice? So for you becoming Muslim and two, for your followers becoming Muslim. And if you uh, reject or turn away from this invitation, you will get the sin of Al-Arisiyin, the peasants. Then it says, Wah, and, and then the Prophet uh, puts a verse. قُلْ يَا أَهْلَ الْكِتَابِ تَعَالَوْا إِلَىٰ كَلِمَةٍ سَوَاءٍ بَيْنَنَا وَبَيْنَكُمْ أَلَّا نَعْبُدَ إِلَّا اللَّهِ وَلَا نُشْرِكَ بِهِ أَحَدًا So, say, O Muhammad, O people of the scripture, يعني the Jews and the Christians, come to a word that is just between us and you, that we worship none but Allah, and we do not associate any partners with Him. وَلَا يَتَّخِذَ بَعْضُنَا بَعْضًا أَرْبَابًا مِنْ دُونِ اللَّهِ None of us shall take others as lords besides Allah, and if they turn away, say, bear witness that we are Muslims. That's it. Those are the contents of the letter. Number one, the Prophet So the proof that if you're giving da'wah, you give da'wah to the people up top. And that doesn't mean you're ignoring the people down below. But the shortcut is if you can convince the leadership to become Muslim, then you will easily get everyone else. The proof, the Prophet sent letters to the kings. Uh, two, we see that the dialogue, as we said, between the prophets and their people was always with, with the leaders amongst their people. And that's why the Prophet said, you will get your reward twice because the effect of leadership. And if you don't, you will get their sin because you're blocking them from Islam now. Other evidence that going, you go to the leadership first, it's strategically the better option. When the Prophet went to a ta'if, he went to the leadership as well. And if you remember the three young men, three men he spoke to and told them that he's a prophet and so, and they all rejected him. But he went to the people up top. One more proof that's so powerful about the effects of leadership. It's so, so powerful. Khalid ibn Walid radiallahu anhu. He was such an intelligent man, so smart. One of the companions later on, he says, Ya Khalid, you are so intelligent. Why was your Islam delayed so much? Someone as smart as you, you should have been from the earliest Muslims. He says there were certain men in Mecca. We used to equate their brains, their minds. We used to equal them or see them as Kaljibal, equal to the mountains. He's talking about Abu Lahab, Abu Jahl. So when they said it was a bad thing, we never bothered to look at, into it for our own selves. We never bothered to read the Quran. We never bothered to sit with the Prophet and know what his message was. We distrusted them so much. This, do we need any further proof about the power of those in leadership positions? So, Abu Sufyan then said, when Heraql had finished his speech and had read the letter, there was a great hue and cry in the royal court, an outcry and people were speaking and, and excitement in the royal court. So we were turned out of the court. We're done with you. I told my companions, he said, this affair of Ibn Abi Kapsha has become so prominent. So, why this name? For them, a derogatory way of referring to the Prophet And they explained that he was the husband of Halima al-Sa'diyah, the, um, the foster mother of the Prophet And others say that he was the great-grandfather of the mother of the Prophet His story, he was a Meccan, lived in Mecca. He goes out to a shop. 
he goes on a journey to a shop in the old days. When he got to a shop, he asked about Christianity and he became a Christian, not as an idol worshiper. So they now, even though he didn't have a strong tie to the Prophet but they're trying to refer the Prophet back to this man who also left the religion of the Quraysh. You see what they're trying to do? And, and, and he's also not a very known figure amongst the Arabs. So instead of referring to him as the son of Abdul Muttalib, which that was his grandfather, who was the leader of the Quraysh at some point, in their mind, more derogatory to refer to him, to refer him back to someone that nobody even knows who he is, and also left his religion like you do. So uh, Abu Sufyan says, yeah, and his affair has become so prominent to the point where the king of Bani al-Asfar, the Byzantines, yani, is afraid of him. So I remain from that moment on certain that he will be victorious until Allah opened or entered Islam into my heart. So then the hadith ends here and then it says the sub-narrator adds Ibn al-Natur was the governor of Ilya, the governor of Jerusalem. And Hiraqul was the head of the Christians of Asham. Ibn al-Natur narrates that once while Hiraqul was visiting Jerusalem, he got up in the morning and he was in the sad mood. So some of the priests asked him why he was in that mood and Hiraqal also was uh, like a soothsayer or yani a foreteller and an astrologer. So he says, at night when I looked at the stars, I saw that the leader of those who practiced circumcision had appeared. The people said, besides the Jews, nobody practices circumcision and you shouldn't even be afraid of them. Don't worry, they can't do anything. That's what they're telling him. While they were discussing that, a messenger sent by the kings, the king of Ghassan, and they were a huge and very powerful group and had huge armies. The Battle of Tabuk was supposed to be against the Ghassasina, and they were uh, allies of the Byzantines. So the king of Ghassan uh, sent a messenger to convey the news of the Prophet to Hiraql. So he was brought in. Having heard the news, Hiraql ordered the people to go and see whether the messenger from Ghassan was circumcised. And the people after seeing him told Hiraql that yes, he was circumcised. And Hiraql then asked him about the Arabs. And the messenger replies, Arabs also practice circumcision. After hearing that, Hiraql said that the sovereignty of the Arabs had appeared. And Hiraql then wrote a letter to his friend in Rome, who was as good as Hiraql in knowledge. He was as knowledgeable as Hiraql. So then Hiraql then left for Homs, a town in Syria, and he stayed there until he received a reply from the letter of his friend. And his friend tells him, I agree with you about the opinion uh, of the emergence of the Prophet and the fact that he was a Prophet. On, so now Hiraql is convinced based on this letter. His friend also thinks that Muhammad is a genuine Prophet. The news he got from the king of Ghassan, the questions he asked Abu Sufyan, so he, in, he was convinced this is the, the genuine prophet and this is the truth. So he wants to become Muslim now. On that he invites all the leaders of the Byzantines to assemble in his palace at Homs. And when they all got together, he ordered the guards to close all the doors of the palace. Then he came out to them and he said, O Byzantines, if you desire or success is what you desire, and you seek right guidance, to be rightly guided, and you want your empire to remain, then give pledge of allegiance to this Prophet. Yani become Muslim, is what he said. And he closed the doors and he wants to test them now, to see if they would accept 
because he's smart enough to know he will be victorious. Let's be with the winning team. What happens? So the, they said that the people start running towards the gates. They ran like donkeys to the gates, trying to get out. And of course, the days they found the doors closed. So then Hiraql realized their hatred towards Islam and their unwillingness to become Muslim. And then he lost, when he lost hope in them becoming and uh, embracing Islam, he ordered that they brought back them. Everyone come back. They came back. He said, what I just said was to test the strength of your conviction. And I've seen it. I'm very pleased with what I see. And I was just testing. I wasn't really serious. He was serious. But he, he basically realized that they're not going to support him and he's going to lose his position. He's going to lose his power and his empire. So he just said, look, I was just testing you guys to see how firm you guys were. And I'm very happy with what I saw. Good job, everybody, basically. And uh, the people then prostrated before him and he and became pleased with him. And this was the end of the narration, the hadith in Sahih Bukhari ends with saying, this was the end of the uh, story of Hiraqal meaning in connection with his faith. Basically, the last two points, um, comparing Hiraqal, who saw that he's going to lose his kingdom and therefore decided to remain upon disbelief, even though he knew the Prophet was going to be victorious. And if the story just ended there, it would be a shame on him to not follow the Prophet But it's worse than that because later on he sends an army to fight the Prophet Knowing this is the Prophet of Allah and he will rule this area that I'm in right now. Compare that to Najashi who becomes Muslim and he keeps his Islam a secret. And at some point his followers, they figured out or they were suspicious that perhaps he had left their religion. So the narration says that he took some writings of the Qur'an, some Qur'an pages and put it under his garment like this. So when his people came to have the meeting with them, he said, what is the problem? He said, we fear that you have, uh, and we're suspicious that you may have left our religion. He said, What's, what are your beliefs? They said, we believe this and this and this and this. He said, and I'm upon this. Meaning, I'm upon this. Here, what's under my shirt, the Qur'an. Now, when young people hear this story, that why didn't he make his Islam public? And so what if he loses his kingdom and it's all for the sake of Allah? Relax a little bit. Not everything is muscle. The brain is more important. If he comes out and says, I'm Muslim, if you don't like it, you can this and that. And then he loses his position. What's the, da the damage, the great damage that will happen? He will not be able to protect the Muslims. Sometimes you use your brain. So here, he would have lost his position and the, the ability to protect the Muslims. So he kept it to himself and then uh, and he died upon that and he was able to uh, protect the Muslims for all these years compare Hiraqal to um, an Najashi and you just see the truthfulness here and all of the knowledge of Hiraqal didn't help him at all it just recognizes a genuine prophet and then still didn't follow him Assalamu alaikum wa barakatuh